0: Of tonight's readings, I found myself drawn to the dense and somewhat confusing passage from Paul's letter to the Romans, and it's a bit of an unfair selection made by the lectionary people who make these selections, because it starts at the end of Paul's argument. In the previous chapter, chapter 1, he's just listed all the ways that the Gentiles have sinned. He says things like, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That is, they worshiped idols and not God. And they were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetedness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Rebellious toward parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and it goes on. It's a pretty full list. Now Paul's using a what might be a clever rhetorical device if it weren't so familiar to us today. He's creating an other to be demonized, or at least it seems like he's doing that. Think of how some modern-day politicians and talking heads have created an other to their own advantage. An immigrant other, a Muslim other, a female other, or a trans other. The list goes on. And all told, it pretty much sums up the entirety of our public discourse sometimes. But with today's reading, what we just heard, Paul abruptly shifts, shifts the sands underneath. You see, his most damning condemnation is reserved not for those who engage in all those dehumanizing practices but for those who have a better-than-you posture. In their judgment, they are failing to do the single most important thing that they are called to do, to be the light of the world. I wish more of our self-righteous public figures paid more attention to Romans. Whenever reading Paul, a sentence that begins with, therefore, is usually a trap. And you can imagine the smug, self-righteous Jews listening to Paul's list of Gentile sins with increasing animosity, wickedness, yeah, murderous, heck yeah, God-haters, damn right, et and etc. And imagine Paul playing to packed arenas, stirring the crowd up in their self-righteousness, and then turning it right back on them. You have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Heck yeah! Wait, wait, wait. Is he talking about me now? One of Paul's great projects is, as the apostle to the Gentiles, to level the playing field between the Jews and the Gentiles. Theirs is one of the great divides of the ancient Near East, at least in the minds of the Jews, of which Paul is a proud adherent. And Paul fundamentally believes that God's covenant that was made to the patriarchs, to Jacob and and Abraham, etc., has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus the Messiah. And that being done, now's the time to turn the attention to Gentiles in God's world-saving plans. Remember, Israel is a light to the nations, a beacon for the rest of the world, or to use Paul's terms, the Jew first, then the Greek, aka the Gentile. Now, Jews and Gentiles are united in sinfulness, The Jew, by his inability to adhere to the law, the Torah, and the Gentile, by not adhering to the basic goodness that God has instilled in them, he wants them to look across the table and recognize in each other that, hey, we're not so different. The list of wrongs that opens Paul's letter to the Romans, the ones that I just read, and many, many others, wouldn't be unfamiliar to the Gentiles. In fact, he's borrowing heavily from the Stoics, which was a dominant ethical philosophy at that time in Roman society. He just puts the list in the context of God's righteousness, that is, in God's fulfillment of the promises he made to those patriarchs. While Gentiles weren't necessarily around for that, they are fully participating in it now. Paul's division and subsequent uniting of Jew and Gentile pretty much made everyone a little uncomfortable. It is essential to his mission, though. And as I was thinking about this today, I was wanted to try to put it in into current context. And it made me wonder if Paul would be more of a Black Lives Matter kind of guy, or in his quest to equalize Jew and Gentile, would he fall in the All Lives Matter group? Now, on the one hand, he sustains the idea of separate and unequal, Jews first, then Greeks, In the same way that Black Lives Matter, it can be said to address the systemic inequities against African Americans first, since they have suffered the most, and then attend to the other. On the other hand, his desire to equalize the Jews and Gentiles, first in sinfulness and then in the needs for God's grace, might point to more of an all-lives-matter stance. Now, to be fair, it's dangerous to try to apply any part of Paul's worldview to today's dialogue and especially trying to do that with Romans. paul It's Paul's brilliant and most dense letter. His world would, as you know, find the idea of race confusing at best. Now, he might think in terms of citizen and non-citizen. That division would be very important to him, and Paul uses his own citizenship as part of Rome. He used that status frequently. And Jew and Gentile, of course, but race didn't exist. Now, if I could hazard a guess, I think Paul would focus not on what we are, but on what we do. He says as much himself at the end of today's reading, there will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. And that's a world I think we could all get comfortable with, honor and peace for everyone who does good, and similarly, anguish and distress for everyone who does evil. In God's impartial universe, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul might say it's what we do and not what we are that matters. And Thanks be to God. Amen.